This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. How's it going, Lance? It is going better than ever, Tim. Better than ever. How are you? I'm doing all right today. And Lance, we speak to another sister advocate today, sort of a theme on our channels. And this woman is named Audrey, and her sister, Jessica Easterly, was found dead. The cause of death was undetermined, but that's where the story kind of begins. Yeah, the cause of death was undetermined, but she did have a lot of damage on her body. We discover in this interview and through news articles uh, that she had a fractured jaw. She had a broken nose. She had damage to one of the vertebrae in the back of her, uh, right under her head, the C4 vertebrae. And kind of perplexing that the New Orleans police and the medical examiner are still not able to determine the cause of death. And given all of the factors that led to her death, it's kind of perplexing that no one's been apprehended for it. Yeah, I mean, it's got to start with the medical examiner changing that determination. How is this not determined? She had a broken rib, a broken jaw, a broken nose, and uh, a vertebrae in her neck broken. And she was in a domestic violence situation in which she told her friend Maria, who is in this episode, she texts Maria about the danger she felt. We reached out to her husband, Justin, who was living with her at the time of her death. And so Jessica went missing on August 12th, 2019. And her body was found by our guest, Audrey, and her friend on August 22nd, just two and a half blocks from Jessica and Justin's house. Yeah, the the specific time in which the death took place is still up in the air. Um, it could have been the 13th. It could have been the 14th. But Jessica did call her friend Maria three times frantic and afraid. This is from justiceforjessica.org. She was terrified and she was asking Maria to come and get her and get her out of that dangerous situation that she was in with her husband. Okay, Lance. So let's play the interview with Audrey and Maria. And this is a two-parter. Part two is going to come out later this week. And please check out Justice 4, that's the number 4, justice4jessica.org. There is some great information on this site. 
And they also have a Twitter page, and there's a link to that in the show notes. And if anybody does have any information as to the cause of Jessica's death, you can contact Crime Stoppers at crimestoppersgno.org or call 504-822-1111. Welcome to the show, Audrey and Maria. How are you today? I'm good. Good morning. We can't thank you both enough for coming on and sharing this story. Uh, Audrey, you're a champion of your sister's cause. Uh, I don't want to get right into it so quickly, but all the work that you've put into this is really amazing, and we are really happy that you're able to join us here. Thank you. I just want justice for my sister. So if I got to do it till I'm dead, then that's what I'll do. You're speaking of Jessica Easterly Durning, who went missing on August 14th of 2019. That's correct? Yes, you're correct. So tell us a little bit about what happened. Just from the starting point of when things went off the rails, I guess, Jessica, um, Jessica called me at noon three times in a row and I was, I was, I was in the shower. So I wasn't, you know, I just didn't pick up the call cause I didn't know who was calling. I kind of felt like maybe it was my boyfriend's grandmother cause she sent, tends to call repeatedly like that. So at the third call, I kind of turned the water off and looked to see who it was. And I realized it was her. And so I, I dried my hands off and I answered um, to see what was going on. And it was more of a continuing bad situation. She said she was ready to leave and she needed to get out of there. Um, this is this is a conversation we've had a couple times where she was ready to leave and then a couple hours went by and then she didn't want to leave anymore. So um, I asked her, you know, well, you know, what's going on? You know, just trying to figure out what the situation was. And she was like, it's just so bad. It's just really bad. I've just got to get out of here. And I said, well, okay, well, I can't come today because I lived in Mobile, Alabama at that point, which is a solid two hours from her house in Metairie, Lakeview, sorry. And I had to pick up my kids starting at 2.30 from school. And I don't really have a supportive village where my kids are concerned. I don't have any family um, and, and nobody that was close enough to even be on their pickup list there in, in Mobile at that time. And the other option was, well, I could go pick up all my kids and take them with me, but I wasn't going to drive my kids into a, a domestic violence situation. So doing it that day at that time, was just not feasible for me. Um, and I, I still don't know how to really cope with that. But so we agreed that I would um, come immediately after dropping them off the next morning to get her. And she said, okay, when I get home, I don't know what's going to happen yet. And then she called me to clarify what that meant because she was at a doctor's um, a follow-up appointment with her stepdaughter at that particular moment. She had gotten her from school and taken her to a follow-up doctor's appointment. 
And um, so she was alone in the doctor's office waiting for Gracie to come out and had a couple minutes where she could talk. And so she called and she said, I'm at Gracie's doctor's appointment. Um, Just let me see what's going to happen when I get home. You know, he's had a chance to sleep. And um, so I just don't know what's going to happen. She said, but he's texting me that I have to get the F out of his house. um, But then that I can't leave. And this was this was fairly typical in their relationship is you need to get the F out of my house because he inherited um, half of a house from his mother. And that's where they lived. And then I would offer, you know, I'd be like, okay, well, why don't you just come stay with me for a couple of days? Maybe I'll just need some time apart. You know, sometimes that works in relationships. People just get sick of each other when they spend too much time together and some time apart helps. But time and time again, he would say, get out. And I would say, okay, come here. And then when he realized she did have a second option and that throwing her out didn't mean she would be out on the streets with nothing but the clothes on her back. Then it was like, well, if you can't, if you leave, you can never come back and you'll never see Grace again. And then he would threaten to have her arrested. Um, She never did specify on what grounds he would threaten to have her arrested, but just that he was going to have the cops throw her in jail and that he had connections in the police force and that he could just make that happen. And you mentioned her husband at the time. His name is Justin. Uh, I think that's what you said. Um, yes. Is he still out and about right now? To our Yeah. Okay. So th- this is uh, a story where there was some warnings about domestic violence and then, and then Jessica went missing. Her body was only missing for 10 days. It, it took us a long time to get um, a confirmation back on the ID, um, the DNA. There was a lot of, um, I don't want to say mishandling, but the police department, um, the third district of New Orleans Police Department has absolutely not prioritized this case it sounds like you're having a bit of trouble with the uh, law enforcement in the area. That, yeah, that's, that's a fair assessment. They, they do not consider this case a priority. Um, anytime we've asked them for accountability on their actions or lack of action, for better words, there's a lot of excuses made about how high crime is in the area and how short staffed they are and how they just wish they could go out and search for every single person that's missing and it's, it's just a lot of excuse making and it just clearly does not rank very high on their list of things to um, solve or resolve. The, the DNA, the DNA sat on a New Orleans cop's desk and because this is what they said, because they said they didn't know where it went instead of it going to the lab. It sat on a desk. So, yes, it was definitely mishandled. That is truly frustrating. And uh, I apologize for slightly derailing the conversation there. If you don't mind, um, you can continue. Take us back to that day that you were talking about. So that was the 12th that she called. So her her kind of a survival tactic with her was he would be really awful. And then she would get really focused on grace and, um, in a sense, prove her worth to him by being just a really amazing stepmother to his daughter in the hopes that that would make him back off and increase her value in his eyes. So with her, you know, 
being there at the doctor's appointment with Grace and still doing all the I'm such a good mom to your daughter stuff. Um, when she didn't call me to pick her up the next morning because I said, OK, I'm going to come get you. You know, you need to call me back, though, before I, I get on the road and drive for two hours and miss a day of work and then two hours back. I need to know that I'm not going to show up and you not get in my car. Um, so when she didn't call me the next morning, I figured it was yet another, oh, we're good now. We made up. Things are okay now. And that's, that's my failure as a friend for assuming that that was, again, the um, situation at hand. So then Wednesday goes by and I didn't hear from her. And this is not abnormal. They fight. She reaches out a lot. They make up. She she goes MIA for a little bit because they're just, you know, enjoying each other's company again after a big fight. Um, but Wednesday night, the 14th at 9 p.m. Exactly. I get a I get a message from her Facebook, but it's Justin. And that that in and of itself is not unusual because I would text her or message her, you know, and then I would get long pages and pages and pages of response to stuff that she and I were discussing. And then at the bottom, he would sign it, Justin, because he really like he needs to feel like the hero all the time without ever actually doing or accomplishing anything. Um, so anytime I would, you know, talk about relationship stuff, he would just jump right in and chime in and offer all this advice um, unsolicited. So I got a message from him asking if she was with me. Um, so I thought maybe like first and foremost, I felt immediately like I was going to kind of throw up and my whole body went cold. And then the part of my brain that didn't really want to process that gut reaction that, Oh my God, he's done something. Um, was like, okay, maybe she, maybe she just escaped to somebody local because a big concern of hers, we discussed her leaving him a lot for a long time. And her biggest concern was always that, well, if I leave, he's going to know that I went to you first and foremost, and he's just going to come right after me. And so I'm going to have to find somewhere else to go. I'm going to have to disappear. I'm going to have to disconnect my phone, not use any credit cards. She really felt like she was going to have to like ghost and go off the radar completely to escape him. So in my mind, the fact that he was saying she was gone and he thought she was with me really kind of lined up. Because, of course, if she did leave, he would immediately assume she was with me. So in my mind, I thought, well, maybe she has done the thing that she said she was going to do. She has left and she figured that if she came to me first, he would immediately find her like he's checking up with me right now. And so in my mind, there was room that she had gone somewhere else instead of coming to me. And how long did you hold on to that for to that? little bit of a uh, little bit of hope that that's what happened barely any time at all because he claimed that he had called all these hospitals and you know he he used the word weird and i said okay well does she have her keys or phone or wallet or anything you know like and he was like no it's all here it's weird 
And that's not, that's not a word you, that's like almost comically guilty. You know what I'm saying? That's, yeah. oh gosh, gosh, it's weird. Like you don't say that. You don't say this is weird. You say, I'm really worried. I don't know what to do. I've called the police, but he didn't say any of that. He was just like, you know, jinkies, like what? So I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm calling the police. I'm sending them to your house right now. And he immediately like pushed back on that. He did not like that at all. He was like, well, you're just going to upset Grace. Well, what do you mean it's going to upset Grace? You just said her stepmother, the only mom she's known for years and years is missing. Like, this is the thing that's going to upset Grace is people looking for Jessica. That doesn't even jive. As soon as his, his behavior became inconsistent with somebody really being worried about their spouse missing, I, I like it took me maybe 15 minutes to lose hope. And he had not called the authorities at all. He didn't mention that he was going to call them. He claimed that he called them. And then he claimed that they said you have to wait 48 hours. And he was texting me this while I was on the phone with them. And it was rolling down across my phone in notifications. Oh, I talked to them and they said, but I was on the phone with the New Orleans Police Department when that message came through. And I was like, see, he's saying that y'all told him he has to wait 48 hours. And the, the young lady that answered the phone, she was like, nobody here would tell him that. So that's a lie. And I was like, I'm very concerned. Y'all need to get out there right now. Yeah. I mean, that 40, that 48 hour thing, that 48 hour thing is something that I feel like if, if he just like watched, uh, you know, like a true crime program and, you know, it's so kind of cliche. It really is everything about it. So the fact that he was lying about his efforts to find her and not behaving in a manner that was consistent with my, my, my loved one is disappeared and then it was like because I, I it took me days and days to get New Orleans Police Department to really give me a call back the detectives that went out there or maybe it was patrol that went out there I don't know but somebody called me back at like 4 35 in the morning after that was filed and I immediately tried to reach back out as soon as I saw that I had missed that and Whoever that person was, was like, oh, well, you're going to have to contact somebody else. And then I spent like four days trying to get anybody else to contact me back. So after after days of frustrating, spinning my wheels, not getting anywhere with New Orleans Police Department, I finally put something on Facebook because at that time I didn't have any contact with Jessica's family. I didn't know Audrey. Um, We had met years ago but we didn't have a current relationship. I didn't know Amanda. I didn't have any way to contact her parents. So I was just kind of desperate and needed to raise the alarm and didn't know what else to do. So I I took to social media about it. I tagged New Orleans Police Department in that. And then on Sunday, like I just kept blowing up their phone until shift change. I finally got somebody on the phone that took me serious enough to... Um, convinced detectives to call me back and they were like oh well we'll we'll go right out there she's probably home by now and just isn't allowed to talk to you so we'll go check up on her and they went out there and he wouldn't answer the door 
And it just it just kept getting more and more alarming and more and more bizarre. And that was at about the point where I was able to get a hold of Audrey and Amanda and they got involved. Um, and from that point, about a week went by and they were like, OK, we're going to look for her. And because of my work schedule and again, the thing with not having any support for my kids, I was unable to go with them to look for her. But they found her almost immediately. They went to drive through her neighborhood first to see if there was any possible place to even search within a a neighborhood that's been developed for, you know, upwards of 100 years to see if there was any sort of place where you could search. And they found a place and there she was just a couple blocks from the house which made it very evident that up until that point, nobody had tried at all. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. I want to get into that part about uh, her body being found. Um, it's really tragic. But you said something a, a few minutes ago about the police knocking on his door and he didn't answer. Did they know that he was home? Or how did you find out that he was home and he just didn't answer uh, the, the door? Because he texted me. He texted me immediately. He was like, 
and it was very defensive and hostile. And the, the nature of the text was, I know you don't think I'm doing anything, but you have no idea the links I'm going to, you know, I've got people here on the ground because he, he uses a pseudo military esque way of speaking because his, he has this fake persona that he's crafted over the years where he is that he was ever enlisted. And we've, we've heard that he washed out of boot camp, but we've gotten further into, we've, we've managed to get back through more ex-wives of his and found out that he never even signed up. How many ex-wives does he have? Two. And he was never in the military, although he claims to be in the military? That's a big, yeah, that's a big thing. And so if you're not, if you're not from the Gulf Coast, it's easy to um, wonder how somebody could claim to have done something but not have any evidence of it. But prior to 2005, a lot of people's lives got completely wiped off the map by Hurricane Katrina. So his 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 workaround for not having any way to prove he was ever in the military in any capacity was that all his uniforms and medals um, all got washed away in Katrina. But we know that he wasn't in the military because his family has reached out to me and told me that he was never in the military, along with his ex-wives. My gosh. Did his ex-wives mention any domestic violence in the relationship? I actually have. A police report stating that one of the wives did suffer domestic violence and she put a restraining order against him. And that was also in New Orleans? No, that was in Past Christian, Mississippi. And when did this happen? God, I don't I don't even know. It was back in do you know Maria? No, it's hard it's hard to say without the documentation in front of us, but there's no shortage of of there's there's a pretty lengthy paper trail on him being aggressive to um, to the women in his life. Incredible. It's incredible to me. It's in, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I've never experienced anything like that, so I can't imagine what the two of you are going through. I can't imagine what Jessica was going through. Uh, it is such a mindfuck when someone does that to you. Uh, we talk to a lot of people who have been through that, have had family who, who goes through that, and to have it happen repeatedly until someone dies finally is insane to me that there's not sh- more strict laws that prevent something like this from happening. Um, you know, psychiatric evaluations, like how many times do you have to call the police? How many times does this have to happen? Do you have to pick somebody up at the hospital? It just blows my mind. So uh, honestly, like any any frustration that you guys have it must be like a million times more than what I'm experiencing right now. Okay, so the domestic violence with the wife happened in 2011. That's pretty recent. So then after Jessica was found, what was Justin's behavior like? Well, I don't know. I mean, he's never reached out to me. He's only reached out to my parents once, and that was about a month after my sister uh, went missing and was found. And to clarify, how long was she missing for? You said about 10 days? Yep. I believe she went missing on the 12th. That's what I, that's what I believe. I believe she went missing on the 12th and then we found her on the 22nd. That's what I think. She would have, she would have contacted Maria. You know what I'm saying? I mean, she had a plan that her and Maria talked about this and she was going to leave. Maria was thinking about 
going for a job opportunity in Florida. And so Jessica thought that, oh, well, that might work, you know. And I think that, I think he found out, you know. I think he found out she was leaving him. And I think that's what happened on the 12th. And he reported her missing on the 14th, two days later. And her body was found on August 22nd. Uh, can you, I know it's probably difficult. Can you take us through that? Technically, he didn't report her until the 15th um, because by the time the police report was filed, so he contacted me on the 14th and the police report was filed. Um, the The time on it is 2 a.m. So that that is the 15th. I have some feeling that she was still... Um, alive and well on the 13th. I know, I know, I know he probably obsesses over everything to do with this case. So I don't mean to, um, I don't mean to throw anything, anybody under the bus, but before, before he got into her social media and deleted me, I was in contact with Grace. And according to Grace, Jessica was doing a really, really thorough job of cleaning the house on the 13th. And from my experience, um, being in the same scenario, because in 2000 and um, 2013, I was in a very similar situation. And the thing you do before you leave is you clean your house from top to bottom to make sure you're not missing anything that you don't ever plan to see again. So I I believe that, you know, she was trying to get her ducks in a row on the 13th and um, that aroused his suspicions. So it could have been the night of the 13th. You're you're meaning to say that the abuse that led to her death could have been the night of the 13th. That's what you're indicating? Right. I think I think it's possible that that she she was no longer with us on the 13th um, at some point during that evening because she was she was there cleaning all day on the 13th. So that means she was cleaning when Grace went to school and she was cleaning when Grace got home. But on the 14th, Grace got up and went to school and she she carpooled with neighbors um, sometimes. So it's possible that Grace got herself up on the 14th and Jessica wasn't there. That didn't arouse any suspicions because she could have just been in the bed. You know what I'm saying? As a, as a teenager, when you're carpooling, there's really no need to have mom, uh, getting you ready. So what brought you to search on your own, uh, in that particular location where her body was found? Was that part of a grid that everybody set up or was it more random? No, it was just random. We were actually going there to go talk to detectives and we had some time to spare. And then we decided, oh, let's go look inside of her neighborhood because we wanted to, you know, scout out places for like a search party. And uh, we got to the end of her road and uh, I said, take a right. And uh, we went and there's, you know, at the end of a road is the waterway canal or whatever it's called. And uh, we went to the right and it goes to a dead end by the water substation. And um, my cousin Doug was with us and he works at a funeral uh, funeral place. 
And so he knows the smell of, you know, of the dead. <laughs> so he smelt it, but he didn't tell us. And he's like, okay, stop here, stop here. And uh, he jumped out the car. And then um, I was walking with him. And then he's like, go look over there by the woods. And so I did. And that's, you know, that's when I found her. She was essentially right off of the street, it sounds. So at the end of the road, it's a, it's a dead end road and uh, there's train tracks there. So she was at the edge of the woods. Like she wasn't in the woods, in the woods. She was like on the edge of the woods there. I'm so sorry you, uh, you that happened. That is, that is terrible um, to have to find her too. But uh, at least somebody did. This is why I need my sister Amanda because I'm fixing to start crying. I can't. Uh, I just, and you know, uh, you know, and then I called my sister Amanda and I said, I, I found Jessica. And uh, so she, she came out there and, you know, she called the cops and stuff. And, you know, and I don't really remember too much after that. I just remember bits and pieces of it. So, and there she was, you know, just laying there. <sighs> was there ever any question in your mind that her husband was responsible for this? Not for a minute. What was the official cause of death? It's undetermined. So are they going to make a determination at some point with that? You know, I I don't know. I I don't understand. And this is this is our frustration is that he okay, so you know, Justin has never been questioned by the police. He went in on his own free will on the 22nd when we found her. Yeah, he's he's never been questioned by the police. They he they've never brought him in or anything and he said that she left her her keys, her ID. I just don't understand why the police has never questioned him. Because on March 15th, someone contacted me and they found Jessica's ID. So I don't understand how, how that is whenever he said that her ID was there at the house. They found it about 15 yards from where we found Jessica. So that goes to show me that they never even searched the area. And then whenever I contacted the detective, he said, get their name and number. I want to talk to them. Well, I already had that and I gave it to him. And then probably about a month later, not even a month, I was called the, those two people that found her ID and her blanket. And I said, you know, were you able to talk to, to the detective? And uh, they said, no, no one's contacted them. And I was like, what? And they're like, no, no one's contacted us since the day we found it. I said, well, are they, have, have you seen anyone searching over there? And they're like, no, there's been no police presence. In January, me and my father went down there because I got um, a meeting uh, with homicide detective Ray Barrera because I wanted him to look at everything that I had. And I wanted to talk to him about, you know, can we please make this, you know, into a homicide? And, uh, he was there and, uh, uh, detective Guggenheim and uh, Lieutenant Allison was all there. And they said that in, 
and this was January 24th, that it was considered a cold case. Now, here's here's the thing. This is this is why we're so upset about it. One, they never even searched, obviously, because if so, they would have found her blanket in her ID. They've never brought Justin in. Um, Justin owns half that house, but the other half is his dad's. His dad has never been questioned. And we have gotten a message from someone who is very reliable and said that Justin told Justin Sr., Justin's dad, said that the day after Jessica went missing, he was cleaning the bedroom with cleaning agents. We told detectives and still he has not been questioned. I, I'm I'm astounded. I mean, you're you're speaking about this as if it's a 15 year old cold case and police tell you, listen, other cases have come in and we have to put those cases. Uh, we have to prioritize those cases. This isn't this isn't the case. This is a body that was found. And then days later, then a week later, a month later, you know, like we're still talking about a fresh case. Did they just say it was cold the second they picked her up? This is insane. Well, that's funny that you say that because <laughs> uh we have um, a text message from someone else. And so this is Justin talking with this person. I went to school with Travis Mackle, investigative reporter for WDSU. I called him on his cell and is returning my call ASAP. Then the person goes, good. And then he texts again. He says, Meg Ferris is another that I've left a message for. And then he says, I am friends with the effing district attorney of Orleans Parish. So it kind of makes us wonder what's going on. I'm just I'm over here shaking my head because he's he's I'm sorry. He's friends with who? The, uh, the district attorney of Orleans Parish. So he's like above the law because he's got a friend. I I guess. I mean, they have to be uh, some sort of uh, public official. Are they high up in some rank somewhere that people are afraid to touch them? Well, and that comical part is he's such an awful person, like like palpably awful. When you're around him, he just makes your skin crawl. Um, he doesn't have any friends. He doesn't like nobody comes to the house. Nobody comes over to like barbecue or watch ball games. Like there's nobody that looks at Justin as, Hey, that's my friend. But he does have a cousin that is apparently a very powerful um, corporate attorney in new Orleans. And the thing with a murder investigation is the coroner has all the say-so on whether it moves on or not. So if the coroner does not classify the cause and manner of death as homicide, then it never moves from missing persons to homicide. And if you do even the slightest amount of homework on the currently elected coroner, and I hope he hears this because screw you, um, he's, he's got a long, lengthy, documented track record of being corrupt. And so it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't seem far-fetched in my mind that um, Justin's cousin, Jane Mintz, 
who you can Google her too, has possibly had some contact with the coroner and got this just swept aside because as long as he doesn't call it a homicide, the police aren't going to touch it. So just a quick rundown of the condition that she was in. She had a broken nose, a fractured jawline, a broken vertebrae, and a broken rib. So the and a broken rib that the police immediately tried to dismiss as, oh, well, that was from us picking her up when we found her body. And when they showed up, they showed up like they were there to clean it up. They showed up, they extracted her, they left no crime tape, they didn't stay and process the scene. They were in and out as quickly as possible, like they were just trying to make it disappear. No, she had a fractured nose, a broken jaw, a broken rib, and her C3 vertebrae in her neck was broken. Which one's the C3 vertebrae? It's uh, right there, right there, by C4 and C5. Um, it's um, it's in the back of your neck. It's like um, like if you know your windpipe. If you touch your windpipe and you go all the way back, I imagine that would fracture or break if somebody was strangling somebody too hard or hit them in the back of you know back of their neck too hard. So now we're thinking, well, okay, so maybe he does know the district attorney. I mean, I don't know. So something's going on and something's not right. And I'm not going to sit here and twiddle my thumbs while they sit there and say that, oh, it's undetermined, blah, blah, blah. No, that's no, I'm not going to do that. No, I, I will get justice for my sister. And someone, someone is going down for this.